2: Greetings, friends. Before we get into this episode of Science Rules, we, or I, have an announcement, a programming note, as the bigwigs at Stitcher like to say. You've probably been thinking plenty about the good old, or maybe it's the almost brand new, coronavirus outbreak. I mean, who hasn't been? So we here at Science Rules are going to keep you updated on the pandemic in a regular fashion. We'll publish extra episodes of Science Rules with experts in the field, presenting the latest fact-check science, and we'll break down the biggest news with top science reporters. And as always, we want to hear from you. For these special episodes, the technology of choice is voicemail. Good old voicemail. Call us and leave a message with a question or something about your experience as we live through this pandemic call 470-ASK-BILL. That's 470-275-2455. 470-275-2455. We'll share a few of your messages on the podcast. And meanwhile, please stay safe, stay calm, and listen in to stay informed. And now on with the show. There are billions of people using mobile phones all day all the time. Not everybody gets a brain tumor This on? Hello We're all science
3: people.
4: Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it.
3: There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. That's
2: the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules... It's a call-in show, so if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, the number to call is 470-ASK-BILL, 470 275 470 275 To find out when to call, check me out on the electric internet. Just click on in to askbillnye.com and send us your questions and comments. And once again, I am joined, of course by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey.
1: Hello, Bill. Bill, it is great to be here. And, you know, what I love about this show is how committed you are to making the world a better place. And sometimes that means knowing what problems to worry about, but sometimes it also means knowing what not to worry about. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little more guidance in kind of knowing how to tell the two apart.
2: Yeah, you could. No, we (laughs) Uh, all could.
1: Yeah, I think i I th- I think it's other it's not just me, right?
2: <laughs> anyway, everybody, we are joined today by none other than risk expert, David Ropeik. Uh, Mr. Ropeik, welcome, very well, welcome to Science Rules. Thank I'm you so honored
4: much. to be with both of you. I've known Corey's work for a while, and of course yours, Bill, forever, and it's an and honor.
2: And you came in
4: anyway. <laughs> yeah. Despite the risk.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what yes. is, by the way, what is risk?
4: Yeah. So that's a great, I, I really love that you're having this conversation because I've listened to several of the shows already that you've done and they've been terrific and, and engaging and learning. God, bring it on. Well, we but not they're, ask him to but say they're it. mostly about, if I may, hard science, if I can make that differentiation. All physical not all, science. Yeah, yeah. right? Physical sciences. And this is more about the cognitive sciences, and there's an interesting point with that. So if you define the word risk to a hard scientist, a risk assessment person, they'll say, is the thing a hazard, and in what way, and at a what hazard, dose? A, a hazard. hazard. You have to have a hazard. You got to have a hazard. Right? And then you multiply that, I guess they multiply it, times exposure. A so so fudge factor. No, not a fudge factor. They add that later after they do this math. So there's a hazard and how is it? at what dose to what age and all those details. And then you have to be exposed. So like if there was a poisonous snake outside that glass window, it would be a hazard, but not a risk to us because we're not exposed. So you have to have both. A snake would have to get under that door. If it was a very skinny snake. And then when Corey, who's near the door would die first. Yeah, I'm, I'm so here. To, I'm
1: here to protect you, Bill. Thank it, it, you. Your life is more well, important than mine. That's if I. the nice snake's eating. coming right.
4: from that direction. That's right. Okay. So that's, but that's the hard science one, right? That's all calculable, kind of. Sure, venomous right. snake, door, glyphosate, underneath. The, glyphosate, the stuff we'll talk about. That's all calculable. The problem is in the dictionary. To you and you, Corey and me, the definition of risk is, in short, with more elegant language, um, the chance that something bad might happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, the chance is what we've talked about first. The hazard and exposure, and then there's a fudge factor to make it really safe. They go, they divide it by a hundred, mm-hmm. and that's the safe dose in your canopies or whatever. Okay, but the chance that something bad can bad, happen. He's yeah, pointing his finger. Yes. Bad. Well, I'll point my finger at both <laughs> of you. Define bad. That is not a hard science answer, is it? One guy's bad is another guy's. There you go, go so bud. Yeah. Right, exactly. So the problem with this whole conversation is people. Let's call it a feature. A feature of risk, a feature of this conversation is that the risk that we're really talking about in the real world by which we react as people, not science, is subjective.
2: It's well, emotional. I should
4: think so. Yeah, okay. As all our perceptions yeah. are, right? Well, so that leads to the gap that I write about in my book, the risk perception gap, I call it, where risks have personality traits, emotional or psychological characteristics, if you will, that we have evolved to use quickly. When we're confronted with a oh my god boogeyman, to judge how big a boogeyman it is, what you were saying in the introduction, Corey, you know right. what to worry about and how much, right? And sometimes those characteristics work; they got us this far down evolution's gauntlet. Right? Most of us, and sometimes they make dumb mistakes, and our fears don't match the facts. For and that's example- probably this conversation, right? Okay, <laughs> so yeah, let, let, let's, let's so jump right in intro. with yeah.
1: Let's jump right in with a, a great mismatch. What's a great mismatch of between perception and reality of risk?
4: Well, let me use a common one and a less controversial one. There are plenty of controversial okay. ones. Okay. You know, vaccines and GMOs and all that sort of stuff that, that'll get the callers riled up and, and, and that'll be wonderful. But let me use a common one. Using a mobile phone when you drive. It, it seems, seems pretty dangerous, really. Hello. Right? So the University of Utah has done simulations mm-hmm. where... The people driving the simulator then take a call and then they kill people in the simulator, right? Oh, they drive over the little old lady in the street and stuff. So, and everybody knows it. This is my point. Every, you know it. Do you do it, you mean do you Have you done it, driving? No comment. Thank you very much. All right. I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> so, I do too. Here's Mr. Risk Guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because we get a benefit out of it in our mind, we play down the risk so that we can do what we want right so that's a one another one is people say to themselves oh plus
2: I qualify I won't make that call till I'm on the uh, the open lane of the freeway oh
4: man this is so perfect this is what I oh, excuse me this is what I was about to say you think thereby that you are taking control psychologically that makes you feel safer now that's a reasonable thing to do the open lane and don't do it when it's raining and snowy and dark and all but your brain is just as distracted in that open lane as it was when it was nearer What'd other traffic. Say? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. 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 But let me let me just add this one point. So a lot of states have said you can only use them hands-free because people driving down the roads look over. They're on their phone. They're on their phone. And they look over and there's some schmo next to them on his phone driving badly. And the schmo pisses them off. Right? I used to work with a stand-up comic who had this whole thing about uh, he's looking for an address. Turn down the radio. I can't see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. So the so the the conversation is distracting your brain, regardless of whether you're talking to your dashboard or the thing in your hand. So David, it's clear to me that you care a lot about risk. Nah. Now, how did this
1: How did this happen? I mean, <laughs> how we were did you get so risk, risk
4: obsessed? Yeah. Um, Well, the obsession here is partly the excitement of teaching stuff that I find interesting, and that's a journalist's excitement. When you love, you want to tell the world. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do. That's what we all do. But I got into it because I was a daily journalist in Boston on TV for 22 years, Channel 5, the ABC affiliate. And I noticed no matter what the story was, if there was some sort of a risk— um crime in the city. Oh my God, I'm not going in the city. The crime is within two blocks of one neighborhood, right? I'm not going anywhere in Boston. Um silicone Im- breast implants, uh, child airbags, um, fire risk. You, you know, not all of these, you remember these right. in the history, right? The well, same thing would happen. On, yeah. I'd ask people how they felt, and they'd go, ah! About some risk that I'd go to the scientist guy and say, person and say, "What's the risk?" And they would, they would go, well, "What are people freaking out about? It's tiny. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of those now, right?" Then I would see people doing really dumb stuff and not freaking out at all. It sounds like, uh, first of
2: all, you've given deep thought to risk, but you, as a journalist, are a fantastic storyteller. Well, thank you. And so you're using examples. To illustrate, uh, here's a low risk, here's a high risk. So, with this said, I've got a great feeling about our phone callers today. Yay. And so, each one is going to be a story. That's my prediction. Yay. So, uh, caller, caller, caller. Laura. Hi. Where are you calling from? Hi.
3: I'm calling from New York.
2: New York, New York. The town's so nice, they named it twice? Yes, sir. What's what's your question?
3: Okay. So, I'm pretty blind, and I've really considered getting LASIK. Now, when you say blind, you mean, you mean
2: you are you can't keep things I'm Not in like focus. legally
3: blind, yeah. but I have very bad eyesight, thanks to my parents. I've considered getting LASIK, uh, but I'm scared to do it because I don't want like laser off my cornea or something. So what's the chance of that actually happening? So
4: Laura, your challenge Laura will be to become at peace with the procedure emotionally to accept that lots of people have done this. Lots of good doctors have done this. You're going to ask around for recommendations and all that sort of stuff. There's a low risk to everything, including living in New York. Right. And to get to an emotional place where you can be at peace with the procedure is probably going to be more of a challenge because even if you had the number, Laura, I kind of, forgive me, but I think I can hear your nervousness in your voice, right? And that's emotional. That's not going to be answered by your number. If the number comes in as only one in a million of these goes wrong, what you're, you'll you're, think, you're, Laura, is yeah. I'm the one. I'm right? the million, yeah. <laughs> right. So good luck and that would be my two cents. Worth.
2: And anecdotally, I know pe- uh, people that have got the plastic eye inserts They go, I should have done this earlier. Oh, way. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, yeah, really. So good luck. And then... Uh, uh, well, Laura, thats we're not physicians, but we're giving you uh, the best advice Do not we follow can. any of the advice we just gave. Well, did. based <laughs> on assessing risk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on assessing coming at it from that direction. So, Angela, uh-huh. are you out there?
3: So excited. Love the science, we, we Bill, love that. Bill, Sorry, Bill, Bill, that.
1: Bill. Well, Angela, yeah. where are you calling from?
0: Cape Coral, Florida. Oh, wow. Uh,
2: and
3: so yeah. uh, you're, you're
2: concerned about something?
3: <laughs> yes. Um, I'm a college student, and I swear all I eat is Chick Fil A, and I always eat out, and it's easier to eat out. It's it's more accessible to, um, to get fast food than like healthy food, and I feel like that's a problem, especially like as I get older.
2: So you're saying, what are the risks? What are the risks of eating
1: fast food? A diet rich in Chick Fil A.
4: As long as you eat a balanced diet of fast and processed food, but there's a lot of different kinds of components and nutrients and vitamins and things in it. So in addition to your Chick-fil-A, go into the 7-Eleven, get a bag of nuts, right? You know, there are a lot of people who say processed food is absolutely verboten. No, it's not as good as natural food because the processing takes a lot of the nutrients out, but it's got some. So just balance out what you're eating. Plus and you're a and college don't kill student. yourself about it. You're in college, man. Pig out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also want to drill down on this idea of like processed food. Is there a real definition of processed food? Because like, I mean, isn't bread a processed food? Isn't beer well, this a processed is, this food? This is a
4: big, 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 long, complicated other conversation. But this this is it, but it is an important point in in my realm. So, so there's a the bunch of the people out there who, in absolutely the best intentions, have taken it upon themselves to be the food police for us, and scold us. And it doesn't come across as scolding, but it's scolding, right? Don't eat too much of this. Don't yeah. eat too much of that. Today in the news, there's eat red meat, and the anti red meat guys are going bananas. Don't be too scolded by. The high noise people about any risk, about any risk. Food's an example, because the high noise ones get a lot of attention. They squeak the wheel and well evolutionarily,
2: the bumps in the road are way more important right, than the, the squeaky parts. wheel
4: gets. You know, gets all the grease. Um, but do go online to a school of public health or some general public health sort of resource to see what a balanced diet is, and it can include some processed food. You'll be okay, Angela. Just okay. what? I'm know, anemic too. So. Oh, geez, you didn't uh, tell me that. Eat a lot of tricks. <laughs> yeah, no, or it. salad, or kale,
2: or something. I don't, I don't or know. Total serious. <laughs> so, uh, David, you study this. It's much riskier to be either too skinny or overweight than it is to eat. Processed food. Or yeah, yeah, it's a really food. interesting
4: thing with with uh, weight. You know, they look for body mass index, and there's some way of calculating whether you're right or wrong. And there's a too high and there's a too low. Exactly right. So you need balance and nutrition. And by the way, when my wife listens to this program, she's going to laugh me into the ground because I am <laughs> the worst example for a balanced diet on the planet, but I can speak two cents worth anyway. Do you eat Chick fil A? I eat. Um, I this thought a, this was a really cool waiting room before the show because it had a big bowl of high chew candies. <laughs> there all right? we
1: go. Okay. And for so. lunch
4: today, I had two Carvels, strawberry and vanilla.
1: Oh, so that's wow. a, that's a balance. That's oh, balance. One was okay. pink okay. and one was white. Okay. okay, but wait. While we're on this topic, because yeah. there's also this idea that, you know, there, there's things. don't don't eat anything that you can't pronounce. You know, don't eat food that has you know that has you know, unusual unusual chemicals in it. Uh, that's that's another mis- mis- kind of misleading rubric that people fall into.
4: Thanks for the segue. And it'll get into a whole realm of risk perception. Enjoy your next meal. Yes.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Stick around for more science rules after this.
4: We are instinctively more afraid of things that are human-made than things that are natural. Doesn't care. I don't care what it is. Right? So we're made of chemicals. I'm and more the afraid purest... of
2: hammers than rocks, probably.
4: Well, that would be one example. <laughs> I'm glad I have neither. Um, instinctively, hu- uh, natural is benign. Good. And we kind of know in our abstract minds that that's not the case. But if you're looking at a whole food, excuse me, whole foods, right? And a processed food, ooh, and you're looking at a food that came from the local farm as opposed to the faraway farm, the naturalness gives it a pattern of relative uh, less danger. So when you talk about three-syllable and four-syllable and five-syllable things, um. We instinctively, and the environmental movement has had a large role in playing this up, uh, fear it. We now fear, I'm writing a book now about our excess fear of some kinds of cancer. You know, some can be treated and some are kind of low risk. Um, But, oh, my God, people think that everything out there causes cancer. And it's all got three syllables. And the food movement, the food healthy food movement for you and the processed food Mm -hmm. movement that you asked about, Corey, is one reflection of that instinctive rejection of all the modern technologies. Now, let me add very quickly, modern technologies made a mess of the world. It's also given us podcasts and cool stuff too, right? Well, and it's also enabled us to feed it's almost 9 8 billion, billion, billion people, people. instead it's of e- one and a half. Exactly yeah. right.
1: What about scientific researchers themselves? Are there ways in which scientists either misperceive risk or
4: miscommunicate risk? So th- that's a brilliant question for this pro- program. Science is a process. I always say it's a body of knowledge and a process. Best idea humans have ever had. The process is? Yeah. The problem is the questions that you ask as a scientist or I, Bill, or as a journalist come from our subjective selves. Well, we're doing our best here. The best is what science does, right? The science puts the hypothesis out and it tests it and it tests it again. And then a bunch of your colleagues say you're full of hot air and that goes through 10 years and then they finally come up with something. That's the process. That's, I'm all for the process. But there are scientists all over the place who ask the kinds of questions they want to get the kinds of answers that they want. What's an example of this? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you one. Please. Um, there is a body of science that suggests that very low doses, very low doses, parts per trillion of certain chemicals can interfere with the endocrine system of the mom and cause birth defects in the baby. hmm Okay. Serious ones. But there's a group of advocates who don't think it's being taken seriously enough who have never heard of a chemical that wasn't the biggest bad guy ever, that kind of folks. And honorable, all of them, honorable. But they have authored some really speculative science. I'll give you a very quick example. They came out with a report that said the shiny receipt paper you get at the store. Yeah, right. Bisphenol A, one of the products, yeah. is in that shiny stuff. And you can get it in your mouth by holding the thing. Mm. Well, if you went into the paper, what they did was they had somebody take the receipt, soak it in water for five minutes, hold it in their hand for five minutes, and then eat it with a bunch of French fries. That's bullshit. Well, that's not science. Good. That's asking questions. That's setting up your experiment yeah. to get an advocate's answer. And I'm only using an example of that experiment, which was set up in a way that would come out with a scary result. Yeah. There are tons of examples yeah. in a lot of fields. That's one.
2: Before we take another caller, this another one that comes up all the time. You know, I'm a skeptic. This is to say formally, I belong to both skeptic organizations. That's healthy. Well, it could be. And hard. But, well, it's also kind of fun. <laughs> so uh, there's an infamous, notorious situation where a uh, guy had a picture of his wife, who was a real estate agent. And she's talking on the phone. Oh, Baltimore. And she got a brain tumor. On that side. Yeah, on the same side. It was the first lawsuit. Yeah. And so this led to, right, you must know more about it than anyway. I
4: reported on a lot. This was the lawsuit that- But to there the are
2: billions of people using mobile phones all day, all the time. Not everybody gets a brain tumor.
4: Most of us, thank goodness, don't. Break it down for us. Cell phone radiation. Okay. Human-made. We're exposed to radiation from bananas. You hear that comparison? Oh, yeah. we Natural. Calcium, we're exposed to radiation calcium. when we're in Denver at higher altitude. We're exposed to radiation when we fly. We choose to fly. It's not being imposed on us. Radiation from a human-made, imposed-on-us source, right? The man. Right? And there's one other thing. The group of people who fear a risk, whether it's vaccines for kids, cell phones and radiation guns, I don't care what it is, there'll be a group that's particularly exorcised and they have to stay true to their group and believe what the group believes because if they say, no, that's not a big risk, their group kicks them out.
0: Socially, they
4: get rejected and that's really scary for a social human animal. So we maintain a kind of a group view loyalty on a lot of risks, even when the GMO evidence or whatever comes along and says, no, no, it's okay.
1: Okay, while we're talking about cell phones, uh, we have a fellow named Alex on the line Yay. who I think is going to is going to help us out. Alex, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm calling from uh, Philadelphia. Ah, Philadelphia. There's... I've been there. It's the city of brotherly love. Of Personally love. You on a oh, landline yeah. or a cell phone? I'm on a cell phone. And I believe you have a cell phone-related call, do you not?
3: Yeah, so um, a few years ago I read that if you are pumping your gas and you're on your cell phone, you can actually – a fire at the gas pump um so i was just curious if that was an actual risk that people should be aware
4: of miss busters did a show on this one no
2: there thank you for <laughs> no so uh, in other words ben, just think how would that happen spark i know but i mean just how many times has your cell phone emitted sparks i, I think it's very seldom Never, although there are, I guess, a few phones that did catch on fire with some issues or laptops. And the airplanes,
4: right? The lithium yeah. batteries. Yeah.
2: So uh, uh, it's another case of you might know more than you realize just by observing uh, all the people with all the mobile phones around you in the world.
4: And Alex, pardon my bill. Uh, if I may, you, you demonstrate Another factor that makes us more afraid of risks than we necessarily need to be based on just the factual evidence—it's called the availability heuristic. Heuristic is a fancy word for a mental shortcut for coming up with stuff when you don't have all the facts. Like you, Alex, right? You're calling in to find out, right? Right. So we don't normally have all the physics expertise to understand everything, or so the heuristics time to figure is it where
2: you take the information you've got to make a decision.
4: Yeah, and you run it through a mental shortcut as opposed to go on Google and get a PhD in physics,
1: mm-hmm.
4: which okay. is like. Real life, right? So one of them is called the availability heuristic. So think about your radar screen for things that could threaten you, Alex, right? There's only so much room for so much stuff on it. There are more things out there that actually threaten you. But you can't pay attention to them all. The one you'll pay attention, the ones you'll pay attention to more are the ones that are getting a lot of attention or which ring these emotional bells that I've been talking about, man-made and natural. So the availability heuristic, starting with that case in Baltimore, starting with that, and it spread in the news media as Corey was talking about. And we were off to that was literally the availability heuristic, spreading the international fear of something that biologically can't happen. But in your mirror in the morning, Bill, do you see a number or a face? Oh, it's very troubling. Uh, Bill? Yeah, It's kind of geeky. Bill, I, think, I, think, I, think
1: need, I think we need an honest answer here, uh, Bill. <laughs> I, think, I, think we, right? I think the listeners deserve it's to know.
2: It's a face. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: okay. It's my face mirror image reversed. So here's another factor of risk perception. Numbers don't have nearly the emotional impact as humans. All
2: right. So along that line, I, um, I'm a mechanical engineer. I mean, I'm a human, but I'm a mechanical engineer. And this following case really motivated me to create the Science Guy Show. Cool. And I'm talking, of course, about the Ford Pinto. So oh, yeah. The Ford Pinto, for those of you who don't know, the younger listeners, is this Way notoriously younger. badly designed car. Uh, Just it was difficult to maintain. It had a lot of wasted volume and it uh, would rust and all these certain things. But the most problematic thing was the gas pipe, gas tank was too close to the tailpipe. And if the car got rear-ended, which happens occasionally, gasoline would get on the tailpipe in such a way the thing would burst into flame and it would burst into flame just dramatically. And if the gas tank had the right volume of gas and air, it would explode. And so the notorious feature of this was that the Ford Motor Company hired attorneys or risk assessors who determined that the cost of the lawsuits would be higher than the cost of moving the gas tank. And there's an example of – so how many people were killed? I mean it was seven.
1: Right. And, uh, and statistically, the, you know, when, you, when they finally went in and looked at all of the small cars made at that time, the Pinto – actually had a slightly below average uh r- risk of, of, of you know thought of, of, of you heard de- of about death. them but if there was one specific defect that produced a very dramatic outcome and because it
4: wh- had such a bad rep going in which is which was really interesting because this comes after the Corvair on which Ralph Nader made his consumer yeah. protection thing which was the gas tank right in front of the driver's seat so if it went you were toast
2: yeah. Well right. those were the good old days. So uh <laughs> are you familiar with this case and yes, how does it converge? Or is there a Venn diagram of
4: overlapping problems? Yes. So there for so if I'm Mr. Ford Motor Company guy, I look at the various risks that I face as a business person. So one is lawsuits and paying for dead people, and the other is changing my production line, and the other is loss of brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that slowly, brand. Right, so the what happened to the Pinto cost Ford sales on a lot of other cars too, and what happens for now years. Right to Monsanto and you name it, you know whoever, whatever company, what is it, Johnson and Johnson now with the very specious claims about the powder? You know, wow, tanked Boeing. Right, what businesses fail to consider adequately a lot of times? BP with the Deepwater Horizon mm-hmm. well, it was a test well. It was advanced technology and deeper water than most people had drilled, but there was a potential of a lot of oil. So look at what happened to BP stock, right? The lingua franca ultimately for these people and sales. They only look at the immediate, unfortunately. And so while they give a lot of lip service to our brand matters and our brand is everything, when the risk assessors and the lawyers are looking at the one thing, that's all they're looking at and they missed the bigger picture.
2: Which was their brand yeah. would suffer. So what's uh,
1: – Alex, is... thank you so much for the question. Look at where you, we went. You, you led us on <laughs> yeah, quite a journey no, uh, starting, really from cool. the, starting from the cell phone. But I think the uh, the important takeaway is that that cell phone is probably not going to cause your car to blow up. Congratulations.
0: Science Rules will be right back. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod50 for 50% off. You're listening to Science Rules. Lauren. Yay. Lauren,
2: are you out there? A caller named Lauren. Yes. Oh, we got Lauren. Lauren, whence are you calling? <laughs> from where?
3: I'm calling from North Rock, Arkansas.
2: Uh, ah, the is that that's North Little Rock is the same as Little Rock, capital of Arkansas? Nope. Nope. It's a whole nother? Mm-hmm. All right. well, uh all good. It's my experience is quite lovely there. Beautiful, especially as fall comes on. But with that said, you have a question, go for it.
3: Um, so the growing number of scientifically illiterate celebrities and politicians is really quite scary um what are the risks associated with the promotion of this and what can we do to stop it or at least slow it down
1: just David is just made... the whole
3: audience is Oop. loving it
1: oh yeah hey yeah
2: we got a sound effect okay thing. so lauren, what's an example question. of a scientifically illiterate celebrity
1: Corey? well actually let's, let's ask lauren lauren do you have specific ones in mind
3: oh, yikes, uh, put on the spot, I don't really consider him a celebrity,
4: but Ken Ham. <laughs> oh, Ken Ham. Oh, okay, well, yeah, um, that's
1: that's Jim that's Ham one kind of trouble. celebrity. Uh, okay. But <laughs> certainly certainly there are plenty of others. I mean, Gwyneth
4: tells you to do all sorts of Gwyneth things that culture. A are scientifically not proven and B could really be bad for you. Right, right? and they're... Yeah, and they, on and on and on and on, yes, on
1: and on. anti-vaxxers are well represented but in I'll, the celebrity mm-hmm, set. But yeah. but so uh, here's
0: the problem.
2: Line, but let me throw this out also. I just want to... Yep. I don't really know the guy. But Leo DiCaprio, uh-huh. his heart's in the right place. I mean, he's uh, trying to address climate change using his um, celebrity.
4: There are quack, shyster types out there. Dr. Joe and, um, you know, Gwyneth it. She believes in his this lifestyle style. stuff. Sure. Gwyneth, well, you know, you know, we, you know uh, you're like, you, buds you, and all. Yeah, you, know, right?
1: you, and, you and Gwyneth Paltrow. Ms. Paltrow, yes, know, whatever. Yes.
4: Okay. Um, a lot of people are in it for the... S- sincerely believe it. I mean, I think there are people who really sincerely believe that vaccines will harm their children. When they look at their child who's been harmed and want a solution for that, and they're groping for answers to give themselves both some control and some hope that if we know what caused it, maybe we can cure it, they m- juggle the facts in their brains such that their belief becomes honest. Honest. Right, Roger that. Okay? Okay. Here's the problem that, that our caller has raised, though. And it Come was on. your question, Paula, um, that led into taking the call. We don't look everything up ourselves and figure it out ourselves. We don't have the smarts. We don't have the time. We don't have the um, desire. Our brain, actually, here's a little side effect. It's kind of interesting. Our brain is the calorically hungriest thing in our body. I right know. now, it's 25% of our calories just, just sitting here. Cranking. Yeah, right. Okay. So when we evolved. When I use it. When I use it. When we evolved and we didn't know where the next meal was going to come or if it would, we learned all sorts of ways to shortcut spending calories. And so we have all these mental shortcuts for figuring stuff out, leaping to conclusions.
1: So, you, okay. so just just to, uh, to speak in more scientific terms, from an evolutionary standpoint, it was advantageous for your brain to be able to shut down or simplify in certain Cut ways. Cut corners
4: to, and leap yes. to conclusions. And it's really easy to leap to conclusions when the head of your tribe tells you here's what the deal is. Mm-hmm. And those are our celebrities. Or the head of our political party or the head of our church or the head of our whoever. There's Bill Nye tribe. Bill and I tried. Okay. They're they're amazing. Okay. Well, and I'm I'm sure they're all exactly right because you're always exactly right. (laughs) Sure. But my point being that we don't mentally do the effort of figuring it out ourselves. And one of the things we default to, because we're so acutely attuned to trust— So as social animals, we have to know, are you on my side or not? Right. If the lion attacks, are we gonna fight him off together or am I lion chow? And so we have exquisite cues, cognitive cues, for figuring out do I trust him or not. And if I do, and Corey, who I trust, tells me Oh, thank you. You're welcome, right? You know, we were just corresponding the other day about what happened to Venus, because Corey really knows outer space stuff, right? Astronomy (laughs) stuff. And I trust him. I trust him. I didn't uh, look up Venus science. I trust him. So 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 that's the problem, Lauren. Let's talk about your
2: problem. The danger. You are a smart person. You are thoughtful. You are thinking thoughtful things, thoughts. You have the choice to ignore these people, but they sounds like somehow these illiterate, scientific illiterate celebrities, uh, and you cited Ken Ham, uh, are affecting you. Are they affecting you, and are they affecting how you evaluate risk?
3: Well, whenever um, they're politicians or people in that sort of um, position, I feel like they are affecting me because they're making – decisions that i'm not able to make
4: are they affecting your opinion your feeling about risk if somebody says be afraid or not of this or that are the celebrities making you feel what they want you to feel
3: um absolutely not more just annoyed
2: (laughs) well annoyed then makes you discount might make you discount a celebrity who might actually have something worthy to say, right?
4: That's mistrust. That's the same with politicians. Mistrust. Right, exactly. Except if they're the politician in our tribe in these tribal days, right, you got to be loyal to your tribe. you got to agree with the tribe. So if the politician of the right says climate change is hooey, do you think most of the people who pronounce that climate change is hooey have looked up the science on it? Is that what you think? Hold on. I don't. Right. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Hold on. So so Lauren and, and David, I feel like we're at the heart of something very important here, which is There are all these reasons not to not to trust. Uh, So then how do we know how to trust? We can't be operating our brains all the time. We can't be researching everything. How do we make smart decisions about trust and risk?
4: So there is a rich, rich literature on the subconscious, mostly subconscious ways that we read body cues. I know what your motivations are. A corporation's out for its own profit, and environmental group is ostensibly on my side. There are a whole bunch of subconscious and conscious cues. You believe in my faith. You vote for my people. You have the same basic I moral liked, values. I liked her in that movie. Therefore, uh, I like absolutely, what she has to say. absolutely, absolutely, all of the above. They, we trust more people who physically look like us. We mistrust automatically, subconsciously, people who have a different skin color than us or look differently than us. They're not in our tribe. Exactly. Suspect. Exactly. So, where there's a whole bunch of stuff, Lauren, that goes into who you do or don't trust, and it overpowers reason. That's this conversation. Okay. So, how, today. so how do we do better?
2: How yeah. does Lauren do better? Yeah, Lauren, and
4: everybody's been calling is asking exactly the question, the same question. How do we do better? that's the hardest part of these conversations because in fact we can only do so much better we can't undo this we can't
1: I, i'd be i'd be happy to do you know ten percent better or five percent better so I'll,
4: uh, so i'll offer you what i try not that that will work for you necessarily i try to remind myself whenever i'm conscious of doing something risky or making a choice or whatever that my feelings are probably going to screw up what might be the optimal choice in a way that will hurt me Now, I want to survive, right? So our motivations are survival and procreation. The the human animal, that's job one and job two and whatever order you want, right? So if I know that my risk choices are going to get me into trouble, it feels safe to drive with the mobile phone, but I know it isn't, I'll dope slap myself with that awareness. (laughs) My emotions are putting me at risk, you dummy. And 50% of the time, maybe depends, it helps. So be aware that your emotions can lead you to risks all by themselves and try to just be aware of that as you make your risk choice. So,
2: Lauren, be aware of how you feel about the celebrity. Take that into account. Thanks. This is a great call. Yep. You stimulated a heck of a insight. Thank you. Thank you. This next call, I think, is quite charming. I think this is really gets us something very cool. Steve, are you out there?
3: Uh, yes, I am, Bill.
2: This has to be good now, man, with yeah, that set up. Where are you calling from?
3: Uh, I'm calling from New Jersey, Lawrenceville, New Jersey.
2: Lawrenceville, New Jersey. What is your question?
3: Well, um, uh, beca- because I sort of just moved here, actually, and I'm um, working at my current job, and I've always had this sort of fear, and I, I'm, I know I'm not alone, but I've always had this fear of approaching my boss and asking for a raise or any sort of um, interaction with my my boss, really, um, I mean, are you afraid that you'd get fired? Yeah, I, I'm afraid, that, you know, if, if I do get a raise, then I'll be you know, scrutinized more. And then, you know, then, they'll, then he'll really have, you know, this magnifying glass over me. So I I'll always, I'll always, I'll always stop myself because I don't want to ask for a raise because then I might achieve too much. And then be you know, the person get asked when, you know, if there's any pay cuts. But then, but then I fear that, you know, I'm not, I'm not earning what I'm really, you, may, you, know, um, you know, I'm not earning what I should be.
4: You've, you've hit on a wonderful topic for us. We've been talking mostly about physical risks, but there's a whole other category of risks that we subconsciously go off about, and they're social. So on that list, the scariest one of all is, and it's scarier than snakes or heights or any physical risk, public speaking. Public and it's in your category, Steve, public speaking, getting up mm. in front of people. You do it, Corey. You do it. I do it. We do it as a living. But most people are terrified at the idea. And it ranks higher on the scary list than any of the physical ones. I mean, if, you have if,
2: more dreams about venomous snakes or showing up in class. Well, new.
4: that's Freudian, and I don't know no, about that. No,
2: no, but chase, I mean, but, in other words, I think there are more of a fear dreams associated with social problems exactly, rather exactly. than venomous snakes. And snake on that list, Steve, problems.
4: are a rejection by your friends, Right. The the other side of which is I have more likes. I have more Twitter followers. I have more Facebooks. That's the other side of it. It's all the same phenomenon. Do you have advice for Steve? Yes. The advice in this case is really simple, Steve. Go for it, dude. And by the way, this doesn't come from Dave. This comes from Dave reading up about this because most the articles that I've read say that The fear is probably greater than the repercussions that you're afraid of. The fear is real. The fear is the the concern in your heart about an authority figure, use that word, rejecting you, making you feel, hey, you know, unpaid, that's bad, but unsafe is real. But it turns out that most people who ask for things like raises more often get them than don't and don't suffer the bad consequences as much as they fear. Be ready
2: to say to your boss when he or she explains so I can't give you a raise you haven't worked here long enough I can't give you a raise because we're in tight financial times. Just say that's fair. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to me. What you have to say is fair. So I bet you're going to pull it off. I
3: I will I will call I will call you back when I'm making when I'm making another 100,000. Give it a shot. Okay, thanks a lot. All right. We're now, root, we're rooting for you.
4: Oh, geez, it's going to rain on Steve or me or something? Oh, it's the lightning yeah, round. It, it, yeah, I get it, okay. it. I remember yes, the lightning yes, round.
1: This, this sounds like, uh, from a risk perspective, this would be a very bad time to be standing out in the middle of an open field holding a... Holding a uh, two-iron uh, uh, over yeah, your Yeah, head. a golf club over my head. Is this, am I correct? Lightning round. Well, that's the one, the lightning yes, round. So it is time, is... David, for the
4: lightning I'm round. I'm ready. I'm kind of ready.
1: So,
2: okay. So... Uh, Let's start with what is the most overrated risk in the United States, the uh, overworried risk?
1: What do people worry about too much?
4: That they should. That everything out there, as opposed to nature itself, causes cancer.
2: All okay. Right. All right. What What about globally? What's the biggest risk, overrated, overworried risk globally?
4: Cancer in the U.S. Well, this will sound a little odd, but the risk of others, immigrants, mo- people moving around, global movement around, um, we fear others cause they're not in our tribe and that has led to an awful lot of nationalism. It may sound a little abstract for our conversation, but I would say that's a really big, no, one of all a lot I think, of I think, I, think, sound, I
1: um... think that's very much, it's, it's in the news <laughs> every day
2: and it everything. comes from
4: these same fear instincts.
2: Now, what is your own irrational fear? What are you afraid of that? Maybe you shouldn't be.
4: I think it's the kind of thing, bad things that happening that I can't control, like to my loved ones, right. Or, um, um, Lack of control sorts of risk. I'm a really crummy p- front seat driver with a yeah. steering wheel in my hand and I have control fine. Over in the front seat, I got to work really hard to shut up and not tell the driver whoever it is to do this and that and the other thing because I'm not driving anymore. Hmm. Lack of control things.
2: Now, uh, do, you, is, do you have a way that you want to die?
4: Yeah. I hope that whatever it is, I don't have to go through the decline of losing my mental capacity along the way. You don't want to suffer. That's so, and and this is in a point about risk. We're not afraid of the statistical likelihood of dying. We're afraid of the experience of how we get dead.
2: Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, David. Oh, uh, I'm
4: sorry, uh, I talked cool. too much. No, it no, happens. No, people listen. It's a podcast. Stuff. We have great very fun. little great music
2: fun. on this show. So, it's all talking. And thank you so much for taking the time to give us, I think, a more complete perspective on the nature of risk. So, uh, as you may know, uh, our guest today has been David Ropeek. Check out his book, How Risky Is It Really? Why Our Fears Don't Always Match the Facts. Uh, I'm Bill Nye.
1: I am Corey S. Powell.
2: And remember, when it comes to the risky part of our universe,
1: science, science rules. rules.
2: If you like science rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show so they can turn it up loud. Thank you. Be sure to look at my socials, as the kids say, when uh, for when to call into the show. I'm at Bill Nye on everything. On Twitter, on the Book of Face, on the Gram, all those things. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call at 201-472-0785. 201-472-0785 to leave us a voice message, which we will embrace. Now, Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell and Corey S. Powell, oh, shown hey, here, me. with extra production from Lisa Wang, who also screens your phone calls. Our engineer today is Casey Halford, who mixed this episode and composed our original theme. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson and Ashley Warren. They are the good eggs. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer, the old CCO of Stitcher. And at Stitcher, Science Rules.